Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Lashonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. And so today I want to talk about perception. Um, As I have been observing life around me, which I try to do in as non-judgmental a way as possible, and I try to be connected with my body, um, all the things I talk about on here, when I witness something coming through my five senses... I try to slow down that process. I've been asking the question, what else could be true? Um, And really just trying to glean and learn. Um, I've been trying to notice nature, earth, and things and, and rhythms and cycles. And perception is this thing that kept coming up. At least that's the word that I have assigned to what I've been observing And so I really just want to talk today about a few things that have um, made it high on my radar. Now, I honestly, my my hope was that I was going to be able to bring on uh, one of a couple of my good friends to have this as a discussion, but uh, they weren't available during this time to record. So I think this could have really function very well as a conversation. Um, But the fact that I feel like I converse with myself often, (laughs) that's what y'all gonna get today. So um, yeah, the first uh, couple of things I want to talk about were my observations of my daughters um, in the last couple of days, and how I witnessed their perception of certain things and what I'm learning about that. So the first is one of my one of my twins. And I think she has a very interesting perception or perspective of justice. So, you know, I'm not trying to type her if you're an Enneagram person, but she has a lot of characteristics that are indicative of of an Enneagram 1. An Enneagram 1 has been called the perfectionist. I've heard them called the reformer. Um, Very attuned to justice and injustice. Can be pretty black and white, right, wrong. And um, likes to have things a certain way. These are just some characteristics that um, I have read about ones. And my daughter, one of them, is very much aligned with a lot of those characteristics. So um, she feels big. And when she's feeling big, she demonstrates that outwardly. So stomping, huffing, puffing. And it's been my um, interpretation of those usually exaggerated externalizations that she wants me to know she's upset. 
and she wants me to know because she wants me to do something about it. And so I find that when she becomes very demonstrative, I take it as an opportunity to invite her in for closeness, proximity, co-regulation, heart to heart hugs, deep breathing. Um, She's five. And so sometimes she understands what the words take a deep breath mean, but I found it helpful to put my hand in front of her face and say, blow my hand. Now put a big breath in, blow my hand. So that's been effective. If you have younger children, I've, I've done that with them for a few years and it seems to be effective. And so when she has these big feelings and she has these very demonstrative actions, One of the common denominators that I find with her is when she has perceived an injustice. And for her, an injustice could be she's not, uh, she's being isolated or excluded. So she, especially, you know, when we moved into our neighborhood, which has a lot of kids uh, last year, she would frequently have a complaint that no one wanted to play with her, that she was being excluded. And as a parent, I have to admit, these kind of things are hard, right? Because there are certain things and certain muscles that I want my child to develop to be able to problem solve, regulate, and do all these things without needing the assistance of other people. But I also can be pretty mama bear and like, hold on, who's mistreating my girl? Who's mistreating my kid? And so walking that balance um, is always a tightrope and definitely not saying I always get it right. But what I began to notice is I would at least come to observe her complaints, her perception of being ignored or isolated or not being played with sometimes simply meant that people weren't playing the way she wanted to play. (laughs) So because she has a very sometimes rigid um, idea of how things should go, even imaginary play, imaginative play. When when there's a group of kids playing and they're just kind of doing their own thing or or the rules are being made as they go along or they know exactly what the rules are and they've decided on them. If it is not how she wants the thing to go, she then feels like she's being isolated. No one wants to play with her. And it it can be really tough trying to explain what I feel like is this hard complicated concept because I see adults struggling with it too, (laughs) right? How many times do we as adults go throughout the world and have these feelings of rejection and isolation, not because people have explicitly said, I don't want to be around you or I don't want to be connected with you, but because how they are doing things doesn't match how we think it should be done. And I, I, I think I'm going to, I'm talking about so much of this stuff as neutrally as possible, not good, not bad, not right, not wrong, just is. But I really think it could just benefit us to take some moments to just be like, let's observe is, is this thing that I'm perceiving this thing that I'm calling, whatever I'm calling it, can I slow it down long enough and be um, a compassionate and curious observer of what's happening in my life. So that's one way that she perceives justice or injustice. Um, Another thing that I observe in her play is, you know, I mentioned we have 14 kids on our (laughs) cul-de-sac, which I don't know, might not sound like a lot of kids to y'all, 
or to some of y'all, but I grew up on a block with mainly senior citizens. I had one friend on my block. Um, and I mean, me around my age, there were, there were three of us, some a little older and a, a young lady who would visit her grandmother every now and then. So 14 is a lot for me. And so it's not uncommon when the weather is nice, particularly right now, we're in this transition where we're approaching spring. It's been cold. We've been indoors. So when you get whatever feels like a relatively nice day, everyone's kind of flocking outside. And what I'll notice is that you'll have different sections of kids. You know, they're not always all playing together. You got a couple over here, a few over here, some intermingling. And one day there were two little boys and there was like a heap of dirt and they were like playing in the dirt and they would take handfuls of dirt and they would move into the middle of the cul-de-sac circle and they would spin in circles and let the dirt fly out. And so my daughter was around and she would get dirt like in her eye or in her mouth. And so her complaint, her perception, this is in, is unjust. You, you stop doing this. You are getting dirt in my eye and you're getting dirt in it. I don't like it. And she would come to complain. And so having to have the conversation with a five-year-old to say, one, you get to not like it. Right. So I want you to know that like how you're experiencing this is okay. You don't like dirt coming near your face and the impact that it's having, but also getting her to recognize that you also don't have to be around it. And that was so hard for her. Like her only solution that she could find in her five-year-old self was if this thing is happening that I don't like, the only way I know how not to be impacted by it is to make it stop. So she would yell and scream at them, stop. And it's like, sweetie, come here. Let's talk about what options you have, right? Because you don't have to alter how you feel about them the, the impact the dirt has on you, but you also have so many options not to be in proximity of that dirt. And it's like, she just kept going back to it. And it was just curious. And I went, how many times do I do that? <laughs> how many times am I very clear about what I like, what I don't like, what I want and what I don't want? Yet I only seem to land on the solution that means in order for me not to be negatively impacted by something, I have to change the thing that's happening or the person who's doing it. Um, and so it was just a curious observation for me. And so another thing is her perception of um, body. I don't know if it's much body language. I'm sure that might play a part, but tone of voice. So this is a child who very frequently will um, say her go-to complaint of every person in her life, essentially, you're being so rude. And then she'll stomp off in some direction. Never very far though, right? She doesn't go away. She stomps off, but then she comes back because that that is her moth to a flame. The only solution I have is to make you alter what you're doing, but you're being so rude. And so on so many occasions, I've tried to be like, okay, I really want to hone in on her definition of rude. 
And in some one way, my husband and I were like, I wonder if it's just like when she doesn't get her way. Is that rude? Because sometimes she'll want to play with her sister. And again, she'll want to play a very specific way or play a very specific thing. And her sister will decline the invitation. No, I don't want to do that. Oh, you're being so rude. And she'll come, you know, Brooklyn's being rude to me. And then we'll have to be like, well, sweetie, listen, I I watched the exchange. I heard the exchange. I, I wouldn't call that rude. I think she doesn't want to do what you want to do. But what about what she did was rude? And I, and she's, you know, she can't answer it fair, but I had this experience with her that gave me so much insight. So I was watching a show. I think I was watching Leverage. I like Leverage. I've seen the full series multiple times. And I was watching an episode. Jay and I were watching an episode and she came into the room. And it was a scene where two people, a man and a woman, were having a conversation. And while it was not... um it was not a conflict scene. They weren't like laughing and joking. It, it, it was, I don't want to say serious, like serious, but they were just having a, a very, uh, sure, a serious conversation. And she walked in, she looked at the TV for a few minutes, and then she asked, um, are they, are they mad at each other? And I looked at the TV and I said, um, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I don't think they're mad at each other. She said, then why, why are they using their mean voices? And it was like a light bulb clicked for me as she watches what I would consider mild to moderately conflictual, not even conflictual, neutral conversations. I be, I'm beginning to think that anything void of like overt joy feels conflictual to her or mean and she perceives a conflict even when it's just relatively neutral. And I I don't know, that was so helpful for me to witness her having that experience outside of um of our family interactions because I have a vested interest in the family interactions. I'm either trying to defend the fact that I wasn't being rude or mean and I know that plays a part even when I think and I'm trying hard to be neutral but to see her witness something outside of us like a tv show and see her concern or question for that was very insightful and so in part I'm just sharing but I also have an invitation with this um how how do you perceive tone body language like we assign so many words to things rude is is my daughter's word but whatever we're assigning it's so important for us to realize like that assignment is probably really old like we've been assigning that word or that concept to some relational dynamic for a really long time when was the last time we observed it I mean we not observed it but um explored it that's the word when was the last time we explored it so that's one thing Um, I'm going to segue in here. Um, I do a group once a month um, and we talked about spring cleaning, how, what lessons can we glean from nature, from the seasons, from the cycles that, um, that are happening around us. And I began to ask questions like, as we approach spring, 
what what are you accustomed to in your patterns and your rituals and in your traditions and a number of people said spring cleaning and what I'm encouraging us to do is as we think about how we clean our physical spaces can we do some spring cleaning internally can we give a genuine um look at an honest what am I saying? Like, an, can we be honest about the things we're holding on to beliefs, worldviews, behavioral patterns, um, relationships, habits, thought processes. So, uh, this is kind of lending to that, this internal spring cleaning of just exploring our perceptions. And so I, 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 I feel like I got a lot out of learning, and observing and asking myself questions about my one daughter. Then I noticed something else about my other daughter. And that is if she does something um, that requires us to give correction or ask a question. And so I'm trying to think, so one, she can be very intentionally malicious towards her sister um, she's a sweetheart, a really like super big heart, like very, um, caring for other people. And then she can be like pretty intentionally antagonistic towards her sister. And so if she does something like that and we'll say, and it's interesting cause she'll know. So all we have to say is her name, Brooklyn with a period and she'll look sometimes she'll have a smirk and sometimes we'll have to say that that's not very kind and it's interesting because when when I inquire of her would she treat like and I'll name some of her friends at school or friends in the neighborhood that she plays with would you ever do or say that to them she's almost appalled like no (laughs) so why would you do that to your sister kind of thing but there are times when Um, She'll do something that I think she believes has disappointed us. And she started asking or outright, she's either started asking, do you still love me? Or she'll say, you don't love me. And so my response is pretty consistently, oh, sweetie, I'll always love you. There's nothing you can do that will make me not love you. That thing you did, you know, that wasn't kind or that was hurtful, but I will always love you and I will embrace her. Um, and it's just interesting because I don't know, I feel like before this started happening regularly, I think I had, um, an implicit belief that a child would only come to that conclusion if you did something to suggest your love was wavering you know in in essence um it never occurred to me that this idea um or fear of disconnection and lack of love was something that would just naturally kind of spring up and that our reaction to that is more important than this idea that we created that thing to happen. I hope that made sense. Um, You know, as I'm kind of talking that out and it made me curious of how many times I literally thought if I disappointed someone I was in a relationship with, that they wouldn't love me anymore, that they wouldn't want to be connected with me anymore. And 
it as I heard her say that and she gets like this little you don't love me anymore and I think she's grown accustomed to our response and so now what I'm realizing I started to just wonder and I'm just curious does she say that sometimes because as much as I love my kids and and feel like I tell them often do I do I need to do that instead of waiting for her to find some instance to say I don't so that I can tell her that I do is it could it possibly be her attempt to just get that affirmation. So again, it's a curiosity. I I don't know the answer to that, but it it has me thinking enough to make me intentional about how I engage with my kids. I wanted to share both of these things because as I am evolving, essentially back (laughs) into who I was supposed to be, learning about myself, deconstructing all this all these beliefs, I realized that um, simultaneously, my children, and I'll say even my my partner, are are growing. And yeah, everyone is just on their own journey. And I don't know, there was something about this week that helped remind me that I do think that sometimes I'm the only person on a self discovering, healing, developmental journey. Um, I can get pretty focused on, you know, how, how much the work I'm doing. And I forget that everyone around me is on some kind of journey as well. And what does it look like when those journeys interact, intersect? Um, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it was an enlightening moment, a few enlightening moments for me. So I wanted to share that, um, a old but yet familiar belief has been resurfacing lately. It is a direct, um, I was going to say direct descendant, but more like a, um, a direct offshoot of perfectionism. Um, and that's, I'll make a discovery and then I'll have a moment where I go like, how could you have not have known that? Like, like I'll get down on myself and it's like, Oh wait, I noticed And then I have to pause for a moment of compassion and curiosity. But it's like, ooh, where's this coming from? You know, I felt like sometimes, yeah, like I I recognize this thing. I did a lot of self-awareness around it. I've developed some habits against it. And so then I, it almost feels like I'm gonna check a box and then I'm gonna move on. And this stuff keeps coming up. I know I'm not alone in this. I I know, I just know that I'm not. I've I've seen it um, come up with people that I get to, uh, share time and space with through therapy and through my courses that this idea of I thought I worked on that I thought I was done with that and so I just want to transparently share that that's some of these things have been coming up for me as well because again sometimes we just need to hear someone share what they're going through that sparks our own curiosity for what we're going through so that's that so now the next thing that I want to talk about was actually so it had me so worked up yesterday (laughs) thankfully I got to spend time with a good friend someone who fills my wealth Um, we sharpen each other you know iron sharpening iron we fill each other's wells and I have been prioritizing now that um COVID restrictions and I don't necessarily even mean like 
governmental CDC restrictions and guidelines, but just as my own comfort um, begins to shift a little bit about being out and about in like restaurants and things like that, and that I feel a little more safe being out, I have really been prioritizing making sure that I'm spending time with friends, people who really um, just their presence fills me. Um, that they're not extracting from me, but it is very reciprocal. And one of those friends in relationships I got to hang out with yesterday. So I got to talk this through with her. Um, and I talked to through with a couple other people. So I feel a lot more regulated as I move into this topic. But um, I want to talk about kind of some of my thoughts about a Facebook post that I saw the other day, yesterday. And... um. I, I don't want to misrepresent it. So I've decided, let me um, pull it up. Because, you know, I am a person who really has an integrity to words. I try very hard not to misspeak. Um, you know, and things like that. But so this post said, quick questions for my young mother's. What type of men do you think your daughters will attract with long weaves, long rhinestone fingernails, and three-inch eyelashes? Also, what corporate jobs do you think she will land an interview for? How far will she progress if she chooses to be self-employed? Do you think about that? I had a conversation with a middle school teacher yesterday, and she told me that some of her eighth graders wear eyelashes emoji with like the straight line for a mouth. I really want to know your thoughts, opinions. So I collected myself enough and I'll read the response that I wrote, but I have so much more to say about this. So the response that I responded with was, I think we have all, I think we have always lived in a capitalist and consumer driven culture that thrives off of trends and marketers have always targeted youth, largely because they are developing a sense of identity and seeking social approval, which by the way, has nothing to do with a personal deficit, but is actually part of human development. Every generation's youth has sought the trends and the aging generation has had the same questions slash complaints. With that being said, I wish policing women's emphasis, black women's bodies was less the conversation and solution. Safe relationships with partners and attaining employment, especially since eyelashes and hairstyle have nothing to do with actual qualifications, shouldn't be determined by the accessories a person chooses to wear. The myth that is white supremacy has long been disguised as professionalism. And it'll have us making judgments and talking down on our youth who ultimately are seeking validation and love. So in my work in life, I choose to bring the attention back to the systems, the myth that is white supremacy and exploitative capitalism in these conversations. So that was my response. Now, I also I changed one thing. So I I had previously been saying the myth of white supremacy. And in that she did ask me to clarify what I meant by that. And I realized the myth of white supremacy can be confusing because it might sound like I am trying to diminish, minimize, or erase the impact that uh, white supremacy and the culture it breeds has had on all bodies. 
but what I hope to um, name is that it is a myth that a white that the white body is superior to all other bodies is in fact a myth, and so uh, it is a myth that has maneuvered itself through numerous institutions has impacted how we inter personally interact with each other and how we internalize our our view our self view and self worth but it is still a myth but i just find there to be so many troubling things about the questions that were asked and my attempt at being neutral is I'm 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 definitely off center but I do want to at least acknowledge I am somewhere in the middle sphere like I'm as I'm processing this and as I'm giving my thoughts about it I'm trying to be somewhere in the middle and I think I want to do this by let's look at belief right so I frequently say and talk to people about the fact that everything we do and don't do everything we say and don't say is undergirded by belief We may be very aware of that belief, or we may not even realize that belief is there. But when we are having conversations or asking questions, one of the things I like to look at is what belief must be at play in order for you to even have that question. And so the first is the question, what type of men do you think your daughters will attract with long weaves, long rhinestone fingernails, and three-inch eyelashes? (sighs) What belief, um, what belief is at play or beliefs might be at play in order for that to even be a question. And as I've been processing this, it has taken me back to what are some of the beliefs I have absorbed? And so one of the beliefs that, that was surrounding me as I was growing up, um, that I very much internalized was that my body and how it looked was primarily, and I'll say from some sources exclusively for the pleasure and edification of men. Okay. My body and how it looks is primarily, and in some cases exclusively for the consumption of men. Now, how did that message play out around me? Well, when someone would mention some change they wanted to make to their body. Um, I'm thinking about losing weight or um, I'm thinking about getting a breast reduction or I'm thinking about cutting my hair. I would frequently hear a response, usually from someone who was older than the person making the statement um, of like, well, what does your man think about that? If they had a man, what does your husband think about that? What does your boyfriend think about that? Or, you know, men don't really like that. Or, mm, yeah, because, you know, men like that. It was so pervasive. I never thought to question it. Why would I? Right. But it began to create this foundational belief in me that if I am going to do something to my body with for or to my body, that first I need to have the consideration that weighs the most on that decision being how it will be perceived by men in general and very importantly, specific men who have some right to lay claim to my body. So that's one thing. Another belief is um, that was surrounding me was what, how, 
how a woman chose to show up externally in the world directly impacted how men would respond um how they would respond and to what degree they would be held responsible for their actions okay so that showed up by me hearing countless times someone seeing maybe someone with um attire on that they deemed not conservative enough short skirt short shorts tube top you know, but that that's that's nice. Really, but ass all hanging out, titties all hanging out. Bob, this is how I heard people saying it. You know, and then somebody come and say something to you, and then you get mad, or somebody grab on you, and then you got something to say. So literally, I'm not thinking to question this. I'm a child. I'm an adolescent. I'm growing up. I am I am receiving this this foundational belief that oh, if essentially a man assaults me verbally or physically or sexually, I first have to take into consideration how I might might have provoked that through something I chose to wear. That's rape culture. It is so pervasive in our, in our, um, in our culture, in our society. Um, But there's also here, there's okay so there's that right and then this question what kind of men so then that leads to there is some kind of undergirded belief that I'm very curious about about how men are being categorized so if you say what kind of man that tells me there are different kinds of men what what are those kinds and how how are we differentiating that right so there there's just so much there that that just it my body had such a visceral response as I read it um, because it just felt like, whoa, okay. Um, If this requires context, it is a woman who's posting the questions as well. Um, So there's, there's just so much there. Um, Well, yeah, so much. So let's move on to the next question. Also, what corporate jobs do you think she will land an interview for? Well, let's pause. So what are some of the beliefs I have absorbed? One, corporate. It is, it is, it is specific that the, the poster put corporate job. So there is this belief that's undergirding so many people that like, corporate you know whatever that means I you know I I I, yeah probably many definitions but when I hear corporate corporate America um it comes with its own set of rules and regulations and so there is this belief that a person who shows up with certain accessories on their person, in this case, eyelashes, hair, and and nails, um, would struggle to get any kind of corporate job. But I think even embedded in that is that corporate jobs are the only jobs that are good or matter or are worthwhile or should be attained, right? Because it's not saying they can't get any employment, just corporate jobs. Um, how far will she progress if she chooses to be self-employed? Um, so there is there is some kind of belief that 
how a person shows up externally will impact, I don't know, their self-employment, whether, I don't know, sustainability, will people shop with them, you know, and things like that. And so here's a few things. And this is, this really is the main point for me. I believe that we as people, human beings, are so largely unaware of our own um, humanity and the dissonance is sometimes startling. Let me just explain what I mean by that. We can simultaneously do one thing and then... and, and at the same time, look at another person doing the exact same thing and negatively judge them. And I, I am part of humanity. I am not excluding myself from this, but, and, not but, and it still drives me crazy. It drives me crazy when I do it and when I notice it. You know, I'm sure there are many times when I don't. So I want to break it down. Every generation has some behavior, some way they show up externally, some way that makes the aging generation clutch their proverbial pearls, gasp and say, that is so dot, dot, dot. But what we're failing to realize is all of these things that we are doing are attempts to be to feel connection, belonging, and fulfillment. So when someone says, "Uh uh-uh, all that weave and them long nails and them eyelashes, okay, so if that's negative, what should they do? So let's talk about conservatism, right? No, they should be more conservative. So they should dress more modestly. So that has with it some very arbitrary and not agreed upon guidelines, but uh, attire that is longer in this area and fluffier in this area or whatever. But why? Why dress conservatively and modestly? Why? Because whatever group you are, so let's say it's conservative Christians or conservative Christianity, your adherence to modesty or conservatism is so that you can feel a sense of acceptance, belonging, connection, and fulfillment from that particular group. When people move into the corporate space and people with natural hair straighten their hair and they wear business casual attire and they show up in this particular way, why do they do it? Because they want to gain acceptance, belonging, connection, and fulfillment within that group. Well, there is a whole contingency of people right now who are saying you can have connection, belonging, fulfillment. You can be wealthy. You can love your life if you have long eyelashes, long hair, long fingernails. Why is it that we can take one person's or one group's requirements for how they dress and deem that that is better than someone else's requirements about how they show up. My whole thing is you get preferences. Okay, let me be clear. I have preferences. And those preferences are, um, 
I am able to change those preferences whenever I want to. I get to maintain them. You know what? I don't have to justify them for anyone. I I cannot like the things that I like and I can like the things that I like. But when my preferences become an avenue for me to cast judgment on someone else's preferences, then it becomes a problem. (laughs) When I think that the way and path I have chosen towards connection, belonging, fulfillment, and all of that stuff is better than someone else's. But here's the thing. Most of the time, we do all these things and it doesn't lead us to connection, belonging, fulfillment, and acceptance. It leads us to depression and anxiety and what we call imposter syndrome and all these other things, no matter which road you took. So it's like, I just, I don't get it. This, this is, I'm pretty sure I didn't rant it about the bonnet conversation somewhere, be it the podcast or therapy to somewhere, but this, the person who posted it, this also is someone who, again, I don't see many posts from this person because I don't think they post a lot, but when I do see it, it's something like, oh, so we still out here wearing bonnets and it's just like, but what's the real bonnet comment? Like, what are we really talking about? Right? That your prep, like, and, and, and the thing is, it's rooted, this idea, you know, that how a person shows up on the outside is unacceptable in corporate America or to, to, to attract a safe partner. All these things is rooted in the myth that's white supremacy. And so what is that? That, that there is a body that is superior to all other bodies and all of the rules that they make around that body, the white body has to be adhered to, to be deemed acceptable. And the mark is always changing. The thing that gets me about it all is like, and now I'm going specifically to black women, black women, black women's bodies and black culture. The thing is ghetto said in the language of undesirable, less than, and unworthy until a white person or racially ambiguous person does it, gets the backing of big money corporations and gets on the cover of a magazine. Then all of a sudden the thing and and the not, they don't even acknowledge that they didn't ripped that shit right out of black culture that they have appropriated it and stolen it and tried to make it its own. It's Columbus all over again. He discovered something that was already here and completely inhabited. But you got people saying, here's a new style and it's cornrows that date back. Come on, like y'all got me up in here. Okay, I got me up in here. Getting all like, simmer down, take a deep breath. But it's so frustrating to me. It's frustrating to me when it happens, but it's doubly frustrating to me when it is perpetuated by black people. Um, that we buy into this idea um, that in order for our humanity to be acceptable, that in some way it needs to dull, dim, and conform itself towards these ever-moving, shifting ideas of whiteness. It, it's just frustrating. Um, and so I want to talk about it. 
I wanted to name it because it happens all the time. I am not saying that I have not been a perpetuator of this. I know for long periods of time, I definitely was. I probably still am. So I am attempting, at least in this way, to be real. Like, it's not judgment in the sense that I'm looking like, how dare you? I'm not trying to judge the poster of this post. I am saying that as I realize just how deep this stuff runs and how much we internalize those narratives... It just really makes me want to be like, man, how is this still showing up in my life? How can I be aware of that? And how can I do things like this? How can I talk about it so that people are more aware? And one thing that we can do, and this is what I've been doing, when I notice something, I and this is why we have to be so in tune with our bodies, because the brain is going to throw you a narrative. And I have to learn to slow that down. But it's throwing me a narrative based on what's happening in my body. Why is it that I can see someone with a particular hairstyle in a particular setting and notice a tensing, a tense, a tightening, tightening in different parts of my body? I got to be aware of that. Slow it down. Okay. What narrative, what belief is at play here? And then I have to go back and go, hmm, But beyond whatever that hairstyle is or whatever they're wearing, they're a person. They are worthy of love and validation and all of those things. And I have to go through those narratives, right? Now, I couldn't go through that narrative for other people until first I believed it about myself. This ongoing journey of realizing that I I am worthy of the air I breathe, of love, of validation, of acceptance, of belonging, and I don't have to earn it. And the more I fill my well with that understanding, the more I can offer that to other people. And I'm gonna tell y'all the for real truth. The more it happens, the more I learn to mind my damn business. For real. I sometimes wonder what the, how did I have so much time to be up in other people's business about what they was wearing and what they was doing? Because now I legit don't have time. It ain't none of my business. And the fact that no one has to earn the right to be on this planet, to breathe the air that we breathe and to bring their gifts and values. Now I spend far less time judging and worrying about what other people got going on. Right? So that is something that, yeah, I just wanted to share because who I just wanted to, um, I also recognize that in a in a more conscious way, I I I want to do what I I want to live my life out loud in such a way that it begins to question some of these narratives. And so one of the things that um, that I have had for like the last almost six years is a short I've had short hair. And sometimes, you know, I do different accessorized hairstyles that um, add extensions and things like that. And it's longer, but I have had shaved sides um, to my hair to some degree for about the last six years. And what I noticed um, when I cut my hair and um, I did it right after I had my girls, part of it in the beginning was a, um, a convenience mechanism, <sighs> I was in grad school. I had brand new twin babies, another child. I was without all these things. The last thing I was worried about is what I'm gonna do with my hair. So it started off as a convenience measure. 
as I went through, I graduated, I moved into my profession and I started to show up in these professional capacities where I was speaking um, or training and doing things like that. I would notice how many black women would say to me, I love your hair. Now, here's the thing about my hair. It wasn't like I spent all my time in the salon getting these laid hairstyles because I was, you know, sometimes you get your hair done and you you about to go to something real special and it's laid to the nines, right? And you like, ooh, that look good. No, that that is kind of never my existence. <laughs> my my hair is always in a perpetual state of done, but not overly done. So it was curious to me. And what I began to realize is my hair, the compliment for I love your hair was less about like how the style was and how much they liked the style, but it was how I showed up in this authentic way with natural hair. And I was the person in front. I was the person talking. I was considered the expert. Now, I don't want to be nobody's expert. Living the journey with everybody else, but that's, I talked about that before. But, but to the point, you know, I get called for my expertise. And I began to realize that there was more to this thing than just for me living my life, that I had a platform, I had a stature in some places where I could bring attention to showing up in a certain way that in some ways was contrary and defied how people had been taught professionals show up. So when I went through the long litany of hair colors with one of my favorites being purple, I got so many compliments and I, and I don't think it's just because people really love purple hair. I think, especially when they were coming from people who would fall in marginalized categories, sometimes it's a lot of times it's black women with my hair. I get a lot of, I like your outfits from plus size, fat, big, whatever word you want to use women. And what I began to realize is less about the outfit and it's more that I'm showing up in a way that's real and authentic to me and that I'm demonstrating that despite what we've heard about professionalism or how people are supposed to show up in these, in these settings, I'm showing up as me. And I believe that is what people were drawn to and what they were attracted to. Um, And I love it. And, and now that, that those, um, those kind of like, casual instances have turned into a lot more frequently when you know before the world was shut down now it's an intention how can I show up in the world not the most bold not let me go out here and do some radical how do I just show up the most me that is it me and because people have been kind and gracious enough to give me my flowers while I am still living, while because people have um, taken the risk to be vulnerable and really tell me how I've impacted them, one of the things that, that I get pretty consistently is people say, your authenticity and transparency empowers me to be transparent and authentic. That's it, y'all. I I don't need disciples. I don't need nobody else to be like me. There is one me and that's it. But there is only one you as well. And if you out here trying to be somebody else, we, I, the world, we're missing out on who you are. I need you. I need you to show up as you because you hold something. 
that I need, that your community needs, that this world needs. And that is going to require us to be real careful in examining all the ways we have internalized that we don't get to show up how we are right? And rather long eyelashes and rhinestone fingernails and long weaves is a trend of today. Or it's something that feels true, authentic to us. Who are we on the inside? And we don't have to earn this y'all. We don't have to earn our keep by following the dress code of something else when we can just be ourselves. And when we teach our kids, who are you? Be you. Who are you? Let's discover that and realizing that for kids and adolescents is shifting. So when we stop casting shame on our kids, we're like, well, you like this yesterday. Now you're doing this. Yes. How do you learn through exploration? How you know you don't like tomatoes because you tried it. And you kind of didn't mind it the first time. And then you didn't mind it the second time. But then that third time, it was like, ooh, I don't like the slimy stuff. And so you stopped eating it. But you had to have the opportunities to try it out and see. And so that's it. Soapbox gone. I don't necessarily feel like I was on a soapbox, but my tone and the little lines on my recorder is telling me I'm slightly elevated. So maybe that was a little soapboxy. <laughs> I just, I, I love us. I want us to be the most authentic versions of ourselves because that is who we were created to be. In that authenticity lies the gifts that we have to give this world. And I am just so sorry that life be life in. <laughs> And along with it has brought so much developmental trauma, so much relational trauma, so many of these things that it began to throw dirt on top of the precious, precious jewel and treasure that we had inside. And so I remember, oh my God, this has to be at this point about a decade ago, a close friend and spiritual sister of mine said she had a vision and in that vision there was like a diamond but that diamond was buried deep and it was just surrounded by dirt and I was that diamond and she said it's time to start digging but here's the thing you don't have a shovel you have a spoon Mm-mm-mm. sometimes we don't have a shovel to dig it out y'all sometimes it is a spoon and for 10 years I've been diligently taking that spoon and scooping. You have a spoon too. Don't get overwhelmed by how deep down it seems or how inadequate your tool feels for the task. Just be diligent. Get to that that precious, priceless treasure that is you and shine on. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg of Instant Classic Media, and of course, to you, my guest, my Labors of Love family. 
If you would like to reach out to me, please reach me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We are on all the major social media outlets. If you haven't already, head over to TikTok. I'm getting a lot of really great engagement over there. I would love to see you over there. Don't forget we have our YouTube channel where all of our Therapy Thursday videos are housed. And if you haven't already, please go ahead and give us that five-star rating. Write a review for the podcast and don't forget to share it with your friends and loved ones. Until we connect again, you all be well.